0: Yes, thank you, Lord. Okay, wonderful. Wow, it's good to be back with you again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for gathering us together, Lord. Oh, you're the speaking God. You're the speaking spirit. Speak to us this weekend. We treasure your word. We long to hear your voice. Oh, we love you, Lord. Amen. 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 So, uh, as it has many times in the past, this gathering comes after the elders training, which is earlier in the month. And, uh, you know, those messages, uh, the nine messages this time in Manila will not be available uh, for us to download, you know, the MP3s and listen to. So we're we're thankful that we can speak some of these messages this weekend. Uh, there were nine messages and uh, and the general subject, which you can see on your outlines, is living and serving according to God's economy and uh, concerning the church. So we have living. First, we have living. We need, our, we need to have a certain kind of living that's according to God's economy concerning the church. And then we need to serve according to God's economy concerning the church. So this is the general subject of this training and of this conference and all the messages in this training and in this conference generally come from the first epistle of Paul to Timothy, First Timothy, uh, chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 6. As far as I can tell, there's no, no message from chapter 5, but they're all from First Timothy. And uh, what we're going to share with you is uh, four messages in this conference, but those four messages will cover five of the tra- messages in the elders' training. So you'll kind of get a general uh, realization of what was shared in the elders' training. Of course, you can purchase the Ministry of the Word, the book, which contains the uh, edited messages, spoken messages in edited form. And then you can also, we will also see these messages in the morning revival. So the Lord will get them into us. But it's wonderful that we can be here this weekend to enjoy them together. Uh, okay, so uh, this first message is entitled "Living and Serving According to the Heavenly Vision of God's Economy." So we need a heavenly vision of God's economy to to govern and direct our living and our serving. May the Lord bring us fully in line and in according to His divine economy. Uh, and we have verses here that are very much, uh, related to this, of course. So we'll, we'll get into the outline, uh, right away because we have a limited amount of time. Okay. The first point says the one thing, the unique thing that should be focused on, stressed and ministered in the Lord's recovery is the heavenly vision of the eternal economy of God. Amen. The central subject of the Bible is the economy of God. And the entire Bible is concerned with the economy of God. So at the beginning of this message, the brother who spoke this message in Manila pointed out that we need to not only see the vision, but we need to have the experience. But we need to see the vision and also have the experience. And of course, this reminded me of Paul's two prayers in Ephesians, right? The first one is in chapter 1. That we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the full knowledge of God, right? We need a spirit. Our human mingled spirit is a spirit of wisdom and revelation, a a spirit that can receive God's vision and God's revelation. Uh, And then the second prayer was altogether for experience, right? Paul prayed that we would be strengthened with power through the spirit into our inner man. That Christ would make his home in our heart through faith. This is altogether a matter of experience. So first we need to see the vision. Then we need to enter into the experience. And I uh, was reminded also of 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 9 through 10, which says basically that God has prepared many things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and has not even come up in man's heart. God has prepared for those who love him. That's us. (laughs) And then the next verse says, but God has revealed them to us through the spirit. So God's spirit is the revealing spirit. He reveals the deep and hidden things of God, which eye has never seen, ear has never heard, and have never even come up in the heart of man. They They are altogether spiritual things. They are not things in this physical realm they're not things in the psychological realm. They're in the spiritual realm. And we need the spirit to reveal them to us. But then in John 16, 13 and 14, Paul, uh, the, sorry, the Lord Jesus said that the spirit of reality will guide us into all the reality. Amen. So the revealing spirit becomes the guiding spirit. Amen. Uh, and, and the Lord said this spirit will speak concerning, will declare the things concerning the Son who is the embodiment of the Father. All right, so these things the Spirit declares, and then he guides us into the reality. So we need the reality of the things that we have received by revelation and vision. So this point, number one, is very, very crucial, saints. Uh, it may sound ordinary, but it's not ordinary. Uh, there's only one thing, something that's unique, that we should focus on. Stress and minister in the lord 's recovery, and that one thing is the heavenly vision of the eternal economy of God Amen. the whole Bible, the central subject of the Bible you know the bible is this, is the greatest the book of all books right it is it is uh, sixty six books containing many many um, wonderful things but the but the real the the, the central subject of the Bible is not. The law of Moses is not history, you know, is not teaching us how to behave ourselves. It is God's economy. And that is something that the Lord's recovery has as a vision, which no one else has. You you can go anywhere in the world, you'll not see this matter, uh, either in the world, of course, nor among the Christians, right? There's no vision of God's economy. But through the ministry in the recovery, we have brought in, been brought into this, uh, heavenly vision, which is the sev- central subject of the whole Bible. Uh, so we need to, st- to focus on this, stress this, and minister this in the recovery. And you'll realize, uh, if you've been here, that this is, this is indeed the very one thing, the unique thing that we focus on, stress, and minister here in the recovery. Right? You don't hear messages or, Speaking, and we shouldn't speak anything but God's economy. It's not easy to limit yourself to God's economy. There are a lot of other things we can speak, right? To one another, uh, even trying to help one another with our problems, uh, you know, and, and situations we are in, we may bring in things that are not God's economy, right? And that uh, ultimately uh, carry, lead, distract people from God's economy. And so the first verse here is one that we know very well. You know, Paul was, uh, he, he left, he said he left Timothy in Ephesus that he might charge certain ones not to teach different things. And these different things were things different from God's economy. Right? So the one thing that we should teach, the only unique thing is God's eternal economy. And so this is a wonderful Um, point for us, and a kind of a a real, I don't know, I would say not a warning, but a kind of a, what do you call it? (laughs) Anyway, something that would focus us, right? We need to focus on God's economy. Okay, there are are a number of definitions of God's economy, and in this outline, we have two that are quite up to date uh, from Brother Lee's ministry. Point A says, God's economy and plan is to make himself man and to make us, his created beings, God, so that he is manized and we are Godized. What a wonderful expression. God desires, it's it's truly amazing that God wants to be a man. Uh, He wants to enter into humanity, mingle his divinity with humanity, and express himself through humanity, through the human living of his, of his people and through their serving of him. He wants to have a corporate expression of himself in humanity. And he created man for this purpose. He created man in his own image. Uh, and this image is something related to God's inner being. So man has, God, man has human virtues, which are copies of God's attributes. They're just like a photograph, you know, a picture without the reality. Anyway, man was created in this way that so that God could enter into man and mingle his divinity with humanity and express his divinity, his divine attributes in human virtues. And this is what God desires to gain. So he wants, so he himself was manized. He became a man and he, he is now Godizing us. To make us the same as he is in life, in nature, and expression. Okay, well, what does this do? This produces God-men. God God became a God-man. And we are becoming God-men. We are God-men. God and we are the same. We are God-men. So we are both divine and human. So God does not, this is not easy for us to realize But we need to see this. God does not expect us to improve ourselves. Now, take that one in. (laughs) Not easy. Because His desire is not that we be good men, but that we be God-men. God wants us to be God-men. There's a big, big difference between a good man and a God-man. But God has come into us with His life and His nature. It's an incredible thing that we have the life of God. We have God in us as life, and with this life we have his nature, his very divine nature, with all his attributes uh, are now being mingled into our humanity. And this is so that we can express him and live him out. He wants us to live him out. He wants to be manifested in humanity. He wants all that he is in his divine uh, riches all his divine attributes to be expressed in man's virtues this is a wonderful thing point b says god's eternal economy is for him to become man that man might become god in life and in nature but not in the godhead for the building up of the body of christ to consummate the new jerusalem yeah. so at the very beginning of the new testament we see god becoming a man through what incarnation through the Holy Spirit, entering into the womb of the human virgin to mingle divinity with humanity and then to be born out of that uh, virgin to be a God-man. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ through incarnation. But now God is making us God through regeneration and through transformation. He is making us the same as he is in life and in nature. But, very important, uh, not in the Godhead. So we will never share God's person, and we will never be an object of worship to people, right? God is unique. He has the Godhead, and he is the unique object of worship. So this is, this is God's economy. And this is for something. It has, a, it has an objective and a goal, and that is to, become, to build up the body of Christ which is the corporate expression of the triune God, to consummate the new Jerusalem, which is the ultimate corporate expression of the triune God. So we have the verses here of John 1, 1 and 14, God becoming man, 1 Corinthians 15:45, this man, the last Adam, becoming the life-giving spirit. And then in Revelation 4, 5, and 5, 6, the life-giving spirit becoming the sevenfold intensified life-giving spirit and so on. This is to, for the building up of the body of Christ to consummate the new Jerusalem. This is the unique vision uh, of God's economy. And this vision is what keeps us in one accord. We're all under one vision. We all minister only one thing. And we focus and stress only one thing. That is the vision of God's eternal economy. This keeps us in one accord in the Lord's recovery. Okay. Point number two on the outline, our becoming God in life and in nature, but not in the Godhead, was initiated by God the Father in eternity past, by his choosing us to be holy, predestinating us unto sonship. The divine sanctification for the divine sonship is the center of the divine economy and the central thought of the revelation in the New Testament. Okay. So this matter of God becoming our life, or we becoming God in life and in nature, but not in the Godhead, it had its beginning in eternity past with God the Father. God the Father. He, uh, these verses here are very wonderful. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says, Even as he, he the Father, chose us in him, the Son, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and without blemish before him in love. So this verse says that the father chose us to be holy and without blemish before him in love. He chose us in the son uh, to be holy. And this is through the spirit's sanctification. The father chose in the son for the sanctification of the spirit. This is the triune God operating to carry out his economy. Then point, uh, the verse 5 says, predestinating us, he chose us, predestinating us unto sonship through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Amen. So pre- to predestinate, the Greek word means to put a mark on, you, you mark something out, you put a mark on it, uh, and, and uh, predestinating means you've determined a destiny beforehand. So this matter of predestination is a tremendous thing. God has determined a destiny for us before the world was created and before we were born. God made a destiny for us. And uh, this destiny is that we would be his sons. Can you think of anything more wonderful than that? <laughs> no, there's nothing more wonderful. God has predestinated us unto sonship. And we'll find out what that is. Uh, actually, sonship implies that we would have not only the life of the son. So if we're going to be the sons of God, we need the life of God, right? To be his sons. But also the position of a son. So we have life and we and we are also predestinated to have the position. So the position is of a son is very important, right? A son is has a position. To inherit all that the father is and has. All that the father's wealth. He is, a, he is an heir. He's an heir. So God made us his sons with his life and with a position to inherit him. So he is our inheritance. So we have this life and we have the position. And we'll see how this is worked out. But anyway, these, these two verses are very, very crucial. Uh, There are many. There are a number of other verses that speak about this matter of sonship. In many versions of the Bible, the word is translated "adoption," which gives the impression that God adopted us, like uh, a a couple might adopt a child. They are not born of that couple. They don't have the life of that from that couple. Their life is not from that couple, but they're just sort of legally added to the family. This is uh, the the view of the matter of sonship to most Christians. But the, in, the, in the Bible, this is not what sonship means. It really means that we are the real, genuine sons of God. Amen. We have his life and his nature. Amen. And one day we'll inherit him as our inheritance. Amen. We'll inherit all that he is as our inheritance. So we, we have the real sonship. So uh, there are a number of verses that use this word uh, to show us that we are sons. Uh, so I want to, I'd like to point out Galatians 4 verse 4 says but when the fullness of the time came God sent forth his son born of a woman born under law that he might redeem those under law that we might receive the sonship Amen. and because you are sons God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying Abba Father right this is Abba Father. This is Daddy. <laughs> our, Fa- our Divine Father is our Abba. He's our Abba Father, right? Okay. Point A says to be sanctified is to be made holy. This is what it means to be sanctified. Which is to be separated unto God. Number one, separated. This is a positional matter, right? You had a common position in the world. But one day you were separated unto God, taken out of the world and separated for God's delight and pleasure. And then the second uh, aspect of being made holy is to be saturated with God as the Holy One. The One who is different, distinct from everything that is common. So only God is holy. Holiness is His nature. And we have the verse here, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. It says, but according to the Holy One who called you, you yourselves also be holy in all your manner of life, because it is written, you shall be holy, because I am holy. So that we were called by the Holy One, the only one in the universe who is holy. And this is God himself, the triune God, he has the holy nature. Holiness is his very nature. Point B says, he chose us, God the Father, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, to be holy. In order for us to become God in nature. That means we will have the divine nature. God is the only one who is holy. For us to be holy, we need God in his holy nature to be imparted or dispensed into us. And this holy nature becomes the holy element with which the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Quite a sentence. <laughs> so if we're going to be made holy, we need a holy element to be imparted into us, right? We are not holy uh, in ourselves. We are common, like all the people of the world, right? We're like everybody else. But we have something in us. We have a holy element in us that was imparted into us by God. And this is... this. Element is just God himself in his holy nature. He has been dispensed into us. And now, and is being dispensed into us. So he, this nature becomes the holy element. And the Holy Spirit sanctifies us with this holy element. So Second Peter 1.4 says that we have become partakers of the divine nature. Isn't that wonderful? Partakers means participators. Enjoyers of the divine nature. Amen. And uh, Hebrews twelve fourteen it says, Pursue peace with all men Amen. and sanctification, without which no one will see the Lord. So we need to pursue sanctification. We should pursue this matter of being made holy in our nature and in our uh, standing, in our position. Okay, point C. He predestinated us unto sonship, even before we were created, in order for us to become God in life. So he chose us to be holy so that we could become God in nature. He predestinated us unto sonship for us to become God in life. We have the divine life and we have the divine nature. This is what makes us God's sons. Okay. For us to become sons of God, we must be born of God by the dispensing of God's life into our being. Wow. Think about it, saints. We've been born of God. (laughs) There's a footnote in 1 John that says, one sentence says, It is the greatest wonder in the entire universe that human beings could be begotten of God and sinners could be made sons of God. That is a great wonder, right? that we could have a second birth. We were born of our parents to be human beings. But we were sons of men. But we were reborn of God by the dispensing of God's life into our being so that we could be the sons of God. So these verses here speak about this divine birth, right? We're all very familiar, especially with uh, these verses in John, right? Uh, We've received him. We have the Authority to become the children of God because we have been born not of the flesh or of the will of man but of God. Born of God. And what, what, has, what part of us has been born? Our spirit. <laughs> we have the divine life in our spirit and a divine nature in our spirit. Okay, point number one under C. Uh, oh, I'd like to also point out that there's another verse that uses the word predestination. And that is Romans eight twenty nine. This is a marvelous verse. It says, because whom he foreknew, whom God foreknew, he knew beforehand, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son. Amen. So this is a marvelous destiny that God has determined for each one of us, Amen. to be conformed to the image of his Son. Amen. So this is Romans 8, 29. This is part of our being predestinated unto sonship. Okay, number one, Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 reveals that God chose us to be holy for the purpose of our being made sons of God. To be made holy is the process, the procedure. Whereas to be sons of God is the aim, the goal, so that our whole being, including our body, may be sunnized by God. So God is going to make us his sons by making us holy in our spirit and Our soul in even our body. So this is the, uh, and this is spoken of in Romans 8.23. It says that we are groaning, creation is groaning, and we are groaning eagerly awaiting the sonship. Sonship. What are we waiting for? Sonship. (laughs) And what is this? It says the redemption of our body our redemption of our body, which is the glorification of our physical body, uh, is the consummation of the process of sanctification for sonship. So here we see these two matters are, re- are connected. Sanctification, or being made holy, is the process, the procedure. And to be sons of God is the aim and the goal. So that an entire being, including our body, may be sunnized by God. And we, we will consummate in the holy city, New Jerusalem. So we'll, we'll be holy through and through. Yes, okay. So uh, we have another uh, portion of the word. Hebrews 2, 10 through 11 reveals that the resurrected Christ as the captain, the author of God's salvation, is leading many sons into glory. So what is our destination? Glory! Our destination is glory. And now uh, the, God is leading us as his many sons into glory. But in order to do this, uh, Hebrews 2.11 says that the one who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. So right after it says that God is leading us into glory... It says that there is one who is sanctifying us. And he is, he and we are of one Father. That means he's the firstborn. And we're the many born. And the firstborn is the sanctifier. He's the resurrected Christ. He's the pneumatic Christ as the life-giving spirit. He sanctifies us unto sonship uh, to lead us into glory. So glory is the destination uh, of God's, of God's uh, sanctifying work in us. First, he regenerates our spirit, sanctifying our spirit. Then he transforms our soul, sanctifying our soul. And then he redeems or transfigures our body, sanctifying our body. So all three parts of our being are being sanctified and will be fully sanctified. Uh, according to God's economy. And this is through the dispensing. Remember, God's economy is a dispensing economy. God is always looking for an opportunity to dispense himself into us. Right? So this is the thing we stress in the recovery, right? Not reforming ourselves, improving ourselves, trying harder to be this or that, but just to open our being to receive the divine dispensing. And then this dispensing ministers God's life and nature into our being and sanctifies us. It transforms us. OK, here we number three, we have a very interesting point. The divine sanctification is the holding line in the carrying out of the divine economy to sunize us divinely. Every step of God's work with us is to make us holy by the spirit's sanctification. Okay, a holding line. An illustration of a holding line is, uh, when a man goes out with a fishing pole and he throws a line, a, a hook on the end of a line with some bait on the end of it and he waits for a fish to bite that hook. Once the fish bites the hook, the fish is hooked. <laughs> hooked on the line. So this, this fisherman is on the shore or in the boat. And he's doing his thing with that fish. Everything he does with that fish is through this line. <laughs> right? He is connected and joined to that fish by a line. Well, we are the same with God. God has hooked us all. And we are now, he is working with us. And every step of his work is through the holding line of sanctification. He is, sanctification is what he is doing in every step of his work, right? He's connected to us. All his dealings with us are through this line of sanctification. So he wants to sunize us divinely, uh, to make us holy by the Spirit's sanctification. Okay, lots of verses here. But I would like to point out a couple of verses to you uh, to help us to understand this. And that is First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 2. It's a very important verse. It says uh, that we were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. So even in eternity, the Father chose us according to his foreknowledge in the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So this mentioning of sanctification here comes before we receive the sprinkling of the Lord's blood. So even before we are saved, the Spirit comes to us and begins his sanctifying work. He separates us uh, unto God and to the point, he brings us to the point where we believe in the Lord Jesus. Uh, I think if many of us look back on our experience of salvation we cannot understand how we got saved. I have no idea how I got I do remember though. I was a I was a young boy. I was in a gospel meeting for children. And this man was preaching the gospel to children. What do I understand, you know? Almost nothing. But he says at the end, if you want to believe in Jesus, stand on your feet. Something within me just moved me to stand up. I just stood up. He said, well, come down to the front of the room, and you can pray. I did just that, and I received the Lord. So living and so real the experience was, you know. How did this happen? (laughs) The Spirit sanctified me, right, through whatever steps he had to take, especially through through the Word. When we hear the Word, you know, the Spirit uses the Word to separate us to God and to infuse us with faith so that we believe. So this happens before we are saved. Then there's another verse that is really uh, good for us to know. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. But we ought to thank God always concerning you, brothers, beloved of the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning unto salvation in sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, to which also he called you through our gospel, unto the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God chose us from the beginning, that's before the foundation of the world, unto salvation. And this salvation is in the sanctification of the Spirit. So this, so this shows uh, that, s- that sanctification is the holding line of all our experiences with the Lord. And what he is doing in us is sanctifying us, making us holy by the Spirit's sanctification. This is so that we can Uh, become his sons, full grown and mature and able and qualified to inherit him. Well, this spirit who is sanctifying us, a very important matter, is mingled with our spirit. This is a very wonderful point, right? Thus, in order for us to experience the spirit's sanctification unto full sonship, we need to live and walk by the spirit. That's the capital S. Spirit, capital S, uh, Spirit, by exercising our spirit to live and walk by our spirit. So we experience the sanctifying spirit uh, as we walk by the spirit. Okay, point number three on the outline. The divine dispositional sanctification is carried out by Christ as the life-giving, sanctifying, and speaking spirit. Well, some very, very wonderful verses uh, support this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, I really treasure these verses. Firstly, if verse 25 says that uh, husbands should love their wives, uh, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the first thing the Lord did is what? He gave himself up for the church. This happened in the past. The next verse says that he might sanctify her. So the reason, the purpose for which the Lord gave himself up for the church is that he might sanctify her. This is in the present. So as a man in the flesh, the Lord gave himself up to die for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be justified by God, by faith in him, right? Uh, And also, he he released his life so that we could be regenerated. But now, as the Spirit in resurrection... He is the Spirit. He's not in the flesh anymore. So in the present, He is sanctifying the church. That includes all of us. How does He do this? He cleanses the church by the washing of the water in the Word. And then in the future, it says he might, that He might present the church to Himself glorious, not having spot or wrinkle or any such things but that she should be holy and without blemish. So God chose us to be holy and without blemish. And the Lord is sanctifying the church today to make the church holy and without blemish. So this is Christ in three stages, giving himself up for the church, sanctifying the church, and then presenting the church to himself glorious. So we have the divine dispositional sanctification. Okay. A says, Christ as the life-giving spirit sanctifies the church by cleansing her according to the washing of the water in the word. According to the divine concept, water in Ephesians 5.26 refers to the flowing life of God, typified by flowing water. Wonderful. So how does the Lord as the life-giving spirit sanctify the church? He cleanses her cleanses her, and you'll see it later in the outline, this is a metabolic cleansing, a metabolic washing uh, by the Lord in our inner being. It goes on in our inner being. He's cleansing us from um, all kinds of things and, all, and then bringing in his own element, his divine element into our being, right? Uh, and he does this by the washing of the water in the Word. Okay, this water here typifies or refers to the flowing life of God. So the life of God is real, right? And it, and it is also flowing. Amen. It's flowing right here in this meeting. Amen. The flowing life of God is typified by flowing water. In Exodus, you know, Moses struck the rock, right? And water came out, flowed out. In John 7, the Lord said, If you're thirsty, come to me and drink out of your innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. So the living water flows. And the, and the succeeding verses after that uh, speak of the springs of the water of life or the river of water of life. So God's life, his divine life, flows. It's a flowing life. And when we experience this flowing life, we are, we are participating in a washing of our inner being. Uh, okay. We are, the outline continues, we are now in such a washing process. This is a process. In order that the church may be holy and without blemish. of course, this is the Lord beautifying the church. To prepare the church to be the bride. Through his divine sanctification, right? Eventually the church will be glorious. That's us. Again, our destiny is to be glorified and to be made holy and without any blemish at all. So this inner washing washes away the blemishes and brings in the holy element that sanctifies us. Okay, point B, the Greek word for washing in Ephesians 5.26 is literally labor. In the Old Testament, the priests used the labor to wash away their earthly defilement. So here we would translate the verse that the Lord cleanses the church by the laver of the water in the word. So the word of God is like a laver for washing away all kinds of earthly things. Okay, day by... Oh, this is, this is a wonderful point. And, the, and the, the hymn that we sang is related to this. Right? Day by day, morning by morning, morning and evening, we need to come to the Bible. And be cleansed by the labor of the water in the word. Amen. Wow. How about that, saints? Amen. This is the way to experience the sanctifying of the Spirit, right? Amen. Come to the word and receive the flowing life of God. Receive the Spirit through the word. And the Spirit does the sanctifying work. Well, I, I would like to point out something to you that, I, that has helped me a lot. Uh, we have this class in the training, FDTA, called Word of God. And we have a book called The Triune God's Revelation and His Move. Triune God's Revelation and His Move. And on page 5 and 6 of that book is this portion that I would like to share with you. Uh, Brother Lee said this, When we come to the Bible, we have to prepare ourselves. We are getting ourselves prepared to read the Word of God not a newspaper or any secular book. First, we should come to God saying, God, I am sinful, forgive me. I am mistaken, forgive me. I do not love you, forgive me. Even I do not fear you, forgive me. We have to make a thorough confession of our sins, then right away we enter into fellowship with God. And that fellowship is nothing less than God the Spirit. God's fellowship is God's Spirit. When we are in the Spirit of God, we are in fellowship with God. We must confess all our sins to make ourselves pure and clean without any hindering thing between us and God. Then we are in God's fellowship. At that time, we are in the Spirit of God. And when we come to the Bible, it is different. This is what we have learned to study the Bible in the Spirit, in God's fellowship. So I highly recommend, before you read, either the Bible or the Holy Word or whatever you do in the morning that you clear away all the things between uh, ourselves and God, right? So that this really is practical, saints. When we confess our sins or we take the Lord as our offerings, right, our sin offering to deal with our sinful nature and we take him as our trespass offering to take away our sinful deeds, right? We find that Whatever was between us and the Lord is, is gone. <laughs> and we are now, at that point, we are in the spirit. Amen. We're in the fellowship. At that point, when we read the Bible, it's different from if we read the Bible without, right, preparing ourselves in such a way. Then Brother Lee says, then we have to pray read, not just read the word. As we read Genesis 1.1, we should pray, God, thank you. In the beginning, you created the heavens. Oh, created the heavens. Yeah. <laughs> created the heavens. Yeah. <laughs> Learn to pray read. Yeah. Throughout the centuries, all the devoted lovers of the Lord and students of the Bible practice pray reading. So to read the Bible prayerfully is to pray read. When we teach the practice of pray reading based on Ephesians six seventeen through 18. I think you know these verses, right? Receive the wor- sword of the Spirit, which Spirit is the word of God by means of all prayer. All kinds of prayers, right? When you read the word, uh, something within you responds to the word, and you pray. It, not with a formula of prayer, but something just, you're just inspired to pray. Sometimes you shout, sometimes you're very quiet, sometimes you you rejoice, sometimes you are saddened because you got exposed, you confess, right? All kinds of prayer will come out when we are reading, even singing. The Bible says we should s- sing the word. Amen. Anyway, Brother Lee goes on to say that he received tremendous benefit by pray-reading the word. Amen. And he, he, he speaks about how he, Ephesians 3, you know, where Paul prayed that we would be strengthened with power and Christ would make his home in our hearts, he said by pray-reading, he understood that Christ making his home in our hearts is his building, He says, how can you have a home without a building? So the Christ is building himself into us by making his home. He said, the only way I could get this kind of light is by prayer reading. So we should pray read the word. And even I would say we can pray read the outlines of the ministry. And whatever way, I mean, whatever kind of prayer, all kinds of prayer, we can touch the Lord and take him in through his word. And we get washed. Our inner being gets washed. Okay, point C. Paul uses the Greek word "rema" when he speaks of the word with its washing process. Logos is God's word objectively recorded in the Bible. Rema is the word of God spoken to us on a specific occasion. So there is the written word. It never changes, right? It's there in print in black and white. But when we read the printed word, the written word, the logos word, The Spirit uses that word and speaks a specific word to us at that particular time. And that word is the rima, and that word is the washing water, that water that washes us and carries out the sanctifying work. Point D, as a life-giving Spirit, Christ is the speaking Spirit. Whatever he speaks is the word that washes us. So we need to come to his presence afresh, right? Every morning to receive, say, Lord, speak to me. Amen. I need to hear your speaking. Amen. I don't want to read your word without hearing your speaking. Amen. Speak to me today, Lord. Amen. Meet my need in my situation. And all these verses show, uh, John six sixty three says, The Spirit gives life. The words that I speak unto you are spirit and are life. And Revelation 2.7, that he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Revelation 22.17, the spirit and the bride say. And these next verses, uh, especially Acts 28, says that the Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah the prophet. That means even the Old Testament is the speaking of the spirit. The Spirit is just the speaking Spirit. He's the one who speaks for God uh, and speaks to us. Point E, one thing that we always treasure is that the Lord still speaks to us personally and directly today. Right? He, as the Spirit, he as the Spirit, He spoke in the Old Testament. He spoke the New Testament and now He speaks today. He speaks to us today. True growth in life depends upon our receiving the word directly from God. Only that his speaking in us has true spiritual value. Amen. This is wonderful, right? Okay. Hebrews 3, 7 through 11 says that the Holy Spirit spoke in the Old Testament. But the, but the verses that follow say that we need to hear his voice today. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, right? As in the day uh, when the children of Israel hardened their heart, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Another uh, wonderful verse is Luke 10, oh. sorry, Luke 10, 38 to 42, where Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet listening to his word. The Lord said, she has chosen the better part. We need to sit at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. This is the washing word, the word that will sanctify us. Uh, And then Song of Songs 8, verse 13 says, My companions, listen for your voice. Let me hear it. So this lover lover of Christ is longing to hear the Lord's voice, to receive his word. Okay, point F. The speaking of the indwelling spirit as the Christ as the life-giving spirit within us is the cleansing water that deposits a new element into us to replace the old element in our nature and disposition. This metabolic cleansing causes a genuine and inward change in life, which is the reality of dispositional sanctification and transformation. This is, so only the word, the living Operating Word, which is spoken unto us by the Spirit, can carry out this uh, metabolic cleansing, a metabolic cleansing. Metabolism is something where a new element comes in and an old element is discharged. This is metabolism, right? So we need to experience such a metabolic process of cleansing uh, by by the speaking of the indwelling Christ as the life-giving Spirit within us. As we read his word, uh, as we listen to his word, and so forth, right? We need to receive his personal speaking. And this produces a genuine and inward change in life. And this is the reality of dispositional sanctification and transformation. And this is what makes us the sons of God. This is the sunizing carried out by the Spirit, right? Okay, now we come to the last Part of this outline, uh, this is Acts 26, 18, reveals the contents of our divine commission to serve according to the heavenly vision of God's economy. We need to pray over these contents, asking the Lord to make them our experience and reality so that we can bring others into this experience and reality. So, you know, Here we have a word related to our service of the Lord, right? We serve the Lord. Uh, So this point on the outline says that this one verse reveals to us the contents of our divine commission, according to which we serve, right? We we serve under a divine commission. And this verse, one verse, is the complete, perfect, and whole gospel. It presents to us complete, perfect, and whole gospel. Uh, it, 26.18, of course, 26.16, the Lord said to Paul, uh, I have chosen you to be my a minister and a witness. A minister, number one, a minister, and a witness, number two a minister and a witness of the things in which you have seen me. So Paul had received revelation concerning the Lord, right? The Lord appeared to him. The things in which you have seen me and the things in which I will appear to you. So the Lord said, you're going to see more. You have seen something of me. I'm going to show you more. I'm going to appear to you more and more so that you See me and you know me by revelation. So then the Lord said after that, I'm going to send you to the Jews and the Gentiles. Well, that was Paul receiving a commission from the Lord, right? And that commission was according to the vision that he received from the Lord. The Lord first revealed himself to Paul and then he sent him with a divine commission. And so Paul said to King Agrippa, we know this very wonderful verse, uh, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He says, but I went and I proclaimed. So that was, he faithfully carried out his commission, which was based upon the vision that he had seen. So first we need the vision, then we need the experience, and this will produce and create a commission for us which will impel us to act, to work for Christ, to serve Christ according to what we have seen of him. So first we need to see the vision, then we need to have the experience, and then we can carry out the commission that the Lord would give to us. Uh, So this, of course, includes our preaching of Christ to unbelievers and our ministering of Christ to the believers. This is our service, right? Our proclaiming of Christ. In one of the morning revivals uh, recently, I read this statement, which I'm going to paraphrase. It says, whether you speak or you don't speak, your entire life, living, being, and person should be a preaching of Christ. So our whole living, our whole life, Our whole being and our whole person should preach Christ. You know, that means we can preach Christ everywhere, even without speaking. Actually, uh, saints, if we don't uh, preach Christ by our living, our speaking will not be very effective, right? So the first thing we have to take care of is we need to live Christ. And so that people can see this wonderful Christ living in us. Then uh, this will be part of our preaching of Christ to them then but at the right time, we can preach the word to them. Okay, but let's see the contents of this commission that, the Lord, that Paul received from the Lord. The first part was, it says, to open their eyes, to open their eyes. Point number one, we need to continually pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand and to see more and more of Christ the body of Christ and the divine dispensing for the divine economy. Amen. Continually pray. I, I appreciate these two words. Paul did, right? In Ephesians 1.17, Paul prayed that the believers would have a spirit of wisdom revelation. and revelation. Then Paul said in chapter 3 that the mystery of Christ was revealed to him in his spirit. Amen. In spirit, he received the revelation. In Revelation 4, verse 6 says that the four living creatures were full of eyes. Full of eyes. So we need to be full of eyes. Uh, And then 317, uh, the Lord said of the church in Laodicea that they were blind. So we need to pray continually that we will have a spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand and see more and more of the person of Christ, the body of Christ, and the divine dispensing. Point two: We cannot go on without new knowledge of the Lord and a new vision of Him. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we prayed, "Lord, I need a new knowledge of You. Amen. I can't go on without this. You must give me a new vision of Yourself." Right? A new vision of Yourself. So, um, so this is the uh, what Paul referred to in Philippians three eight. He referred to this as the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Right? This is the knowledge of Christ that comes to us through revelation. In Galatians 1 Paul said, it pleased God to reveal his son in me. So we need to pray that the Lord will reveal more of himself to us. That we will receive fresh light and concerning the person of, of the Lord. And this The excellency of the knowledge of Christ is what enabled Paul to count all things loss so that he may gain Christ. So when we have the knowledge of Christ through revelation, we can have the experience of Christ that follows this knowledge, right? We have that knowledge, then we have the experience. Um, We can pursue. We pursue Christ because we see that he is the most excellent one and nothing in the universe can compare to him. And everything in the universe is rubbish (laughs) compared to the Lord. You know, Paul said he suffered the loss of all things. And he counted them as rubbish or refuse or dog food. You know. So compared to Christ, everything is rubbish. And we don't have the, you know, we don't have the feeling we've given up anything. We gained the treasure of the universe. (laughs) And the things that we lost are not worthy to be compared to him. But how can we have this experience, saints? The only way is by having the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. We must gain more revelation concerning him. And eventually, point three says, our commission is to enlighten all that they may see what the economy of the mystery is. This is our commission. Then point B, to turn them from darkness to light. Point one, light is the presence of God. We need to be people who are full of light. Wow. Isaiah 2 verse 5 says, Come and let us walk in the light of Jehovah. Verse John 1 5 says, God is light. Verse 7 says, If we walk in the light. Right? So anyway, we need to be people of light who are full of light and that means we need to be people who live in the presence of God. Because light is the presence of God. Then, according to this experience that we can have, we can be the luminaries in the world, reflecting Christ as the genuine light to the people around us, holding forth the word of life, to tell out the virtues of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is our commission based upon our experience uh, of, of the Lord. Point C, to turn them from the authority of Satan to God. The highest point in our spiritual experience is to have a clear sky with a throne above it. To have the throne above a clear sky is to give the Lord the preeminence in our being and the highest and most prominent position in our life. This is based upon Ezekiel 1, where uh, the four living creatures, above them was an expanse, crystal clear, uh, and the throne with one sitting on it. Uh, So this is the highest point in our spiritual experience, that the sky above us would be clear and the throne would be there. That is, the Lord has the preeminence in our being and the highest and most prominent position in our life. Okay, point two, if we are under a clear sky with the throne above it, genuine authority will be with us to bring others under God's authority. And these verses show how Paul, he says that, He had been given authority to overthrow strongholds, reasonings, and every high thing rising up against the knowledge of God and taking captive every thought unto the obedience of Christ. So Paul had the divine authority because he was a man under a clear sky with a throne above it. He was under the Lord's authority, full authority. So this shows how our experience qualifies us to carry out our commission. Point D, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Point one, we need to go to the Lord to receive a thorough forgiveness of all our sins. You know, the Lord is so, if we confess, it says, right, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. So we 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 don't need to, we should believe in God's faithfulness. We should believe in the effectiveness of the Lord's blood. Right, so we... We could just confess to the Lord and receive his forgiveness and his cleansing. Right away, we have the fellowship with him. And point two says, David begged God to blot out his transgressions, wash him thoroughly from his iniquity, and cleanse him from his sins. Wow. Psalm 51. A marvelous example of confession, right? If we confess our sins to receive God's forgiveness, we will have the gladness of God's salvation. And be sustained with a willing spirit. Then we can teach transgressors his ways. And sinners will turn back to him. This is what David said in Psalm 51. So yes. Our confessing and God's forgiveness should bring to us. The gladness of salvation. And should sustain us with a willing spirit. Our spirit would be depressed. If we don't confess. Right? But if. We confess our spirit will be uplifted and strengthened. Okay, point E, that they may receive an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. This inheritance is the triumph God himself with all he has, all he's done, and all he will do for his redeemed people. So the ultimate blessing of this commission will be that those who are under our proclaiming will receive the triune God as their inheritance. And a wonderful thing, two words, among those. You know what that implies? The church life. Though <laughs> so even the church life is included in this commission. We, we need to bring people into the church life so that they can be among those who have been sanctified by faith in the Lord. Point number one, the triune God is embodied in the all-inclusive Christ who is the portion allotted to the saints as their inheritance. Point number two, we need to bring people into the enjoyment of the all-inclusive Christ in the church, in the church life, so that they may enjoy Christ as we do and be sanctified dispositionally with the holy nature of God through the exercise of, our, of their spirit. So we need to be spirit-exercising people, right? Oh, the best thing you can do for someone is to help them to exercise their spirit. Then they will touch the Lord and they will receive untold benefits, right? They'll enter into this wonderful process of sanctification and they will enjoy that God is their inheritance, right? Through the exercise of their spirit. Point number five, Shall we read it together? Our being sanctified for the divine sonship ultimately consummates in the new Jerusalem as the holy city, emigrant of the divine sonship. This is the ultimate consummation of God becoming a man in the flesh, that man might become God in the spirit to gain a great corporate God-man for the corporate expression, the glory of the triune God. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, Revelation 21, verse 7, which speaks of the new Jerusalem, the whole chapter, right? It says that those who will participate in this city will be the sons of God. So sonship eventually consummates in the new Jerusalem. Amen. Amen. Okay, we have some time.